1: Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for coming out this evening, News and Observers legislative preview event. We had to crank this microphone all the way up to get over the din of talking, but it's a good problem to have. We appreciate so many turning out. We're going to get started here in just a moment with uh, two folks who I don't think need introduction, but I'll introduce them very shortly. But before that i want to give a few minutes to some of our sponsors who have been tremendous in helping us put this program together let me start first i'm not sure with jim boston if you'd come up representing aetna we appreciate you so much for helping us and please you have the mic thank you lars oh
0: good evening everyone uh it's uh, it's great to be here my name is jim boston I am Etna's uh, North Carolina president, and uh, working here out of our Cary office, which is uh, which happens to be our state headquarters here in North Carolina. Um, I want to thank Lars and and the Insider for uh, having this event tonight, and we're proud to be a, a sponsor and being here with you tonight. Um, looking forward to hearing from uh, Senate Leader Berger and and Speaker Moore, uh, and hearing about the uh, the 2023 legislative. Uh, uh, agenda, and so that's what we're all here for. But I just wanted to make a couple of of uh, quick remarks here. I guess you have probably all seen in the in the Insider that Aetna has been awarded the TPA contract for the state of North Carolina employee health plan that will be effective for us uh, January 1, one, twenty twenty five. Um, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll say a couple of things. But um, uh, and I normally don't like to talk. For those that know me, don't like to talk about myself, but uh, I do want to tell you this, that um, for me as a, as a native North Carolinian that, uh, uh, who chose a career in healthcare while at the University of, of North Carolina, uh, and who has spent his entire career here in the healthcare industry in North Carolina, uh, and whose father um, retired after a career working for, uh, for the state as a state employee in, in Salisbury. Uh, I can tell you that um, I am absolutely brimming with pride and enthusiasm for the opportunity to serve the people in uh, in this great state who teach uh, and protect and serve uh, our, um, uh, our our great state of North Carolina. But having said that, um, you know this is a new opportunity for Aetna. We're obviously very excited about it. Uh, but it's, uh, it's not new to us to be delivering health care benefits uh, to customers in North Carolina. We've existed for 170 years nationally and have been in business in North Carolina since 1899. And, uh, and we really do hold a long-term value view on the, the importance of relationships and service. And that's the reason that we've been here for as long as we have. Um, but my sole mission as we kind of embark on this journey with, uh, with the state and with State Health Plan is that uh, myself, along with our hundreds of North Carolina-based Aetna employees that are dedicated to this incredible relationship, that our, our goal is to, to deliver a seamless transition to Aetna and, uh, and ultimately deliver better value, better service and a better experience for the, uh, the employees of, of the state health plan. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, I just want to thank you all for, uh, for being here tonight. And, uh, I know I have not had a chance to meet, uh, all of you yet, but I'm really looking forward to, to working with,
1: uh, all of you guys in the years to come. So thank you. Thank you, Jim. I'll give the mic next to Leslie Walden from Fidelity Investments to say a few words. Again, one of our sponsors. We appreciate you helping us put this together.
2: Thank you very much. Um, I just remember the first event of this being very, very small. It was when we were first starting to get together and I told y'all that it was gonna be great. So congratulations on your success. Thank you for um, joining us tonight and uh, I'll let you move it along.
1: Thank you, Leslie. Yeah. We've come a little ways from our first insider events not long ago, which fidelity was instrumental in helping us put together as well. So thank you. And I didn't get a chance to speak with you, but Cynthia Charles from the NC healthcare association, if you'd like to say a few words as well. Not Cynthia. you don't look like Cynthia. (laughs) Uh, I just want to thank you for the opportunity. My name is John Thompson.
0: I'm the state government relations director for the North Carolina healthcare association. Great to be here.
1: A uh, happy session, and gentlemen, start your engines. Thank you, John. Uh, Before we start with the main act, with, with what you all came here to see, I do want to point out our team at Insider and, and the News and Observer. Many of you folks, I'm sure, have already talked with our reporters and editors, but uh, if you haven't or you might hear from them in the future, I thought I'd point them out to you now. I see Luciana here, right? In front of me, so I'll start with her, Luciana Perez-Uribe-Guinasi, who joined us about six months ago and has just been fantastic on our team. We appreciate you. Dawn baumgartner Vaughn, one of our tenured politics reporters, who's phenomenal. I think many of you know her pretty well. Uh, Let's see, who else is around? Where's Avi? There's Avi, hiding behind a pillar. (laughs) Avi Bajpai, another of our politics reporters. I see in the back we have some of our leadership. Thad Ogburn is our managing editor back there. Bill Church as well, our executive editor. I am Lars Dolder, the NC Insider editor, and I'm looking for more of our team because I know that we got more of our folks out here. Um, Haiti Perez Moreno will join us. Many of you will get to know her soon. She is freelancing with Insider and the NRL through the long session, so get to know her name and face. And if I miss folks from our team, shout out now because I'm just looking for for faces around all right clifton clifton the man behind everything and matt betts there thank you gentlemen for helping us put this together but i won't keep you in suspense any longer the men of the hour thank you so much gentlemen for coming out don't need introductions but senate leader phil berger and house speaker tim moore It's a little different for us we talk like this all the time at the legislative building but now we got an audience watching us (laughs) uh how's it been the last two weeks did you do anything fun
2: it's you know doing a lot of things fun things i want to get something out of the way too there's been some stories about politicians elected officials who have trouble driving and i want you to know that phil berger is not that bad of a driver
1: now who might that be tim You do anything fun, Senator Berger, over the two weeks before things got real today? Uh, No. (laughs) I mean, this is the most fun I've had in two weeks. I'm glad, (laughs) I'm glad. Well, thank you again, both of you, for coming. We will keep this, uh, we won't make it terribly long, but the idea, of course, is to preview the legislative session that has uh, started in earnest today. A couple of weeks ago, of course, you gaveled in, but things are starting to really get moving now. Um, So I want to touch on some of the high points, a lot of familiar topics, but people here I'm sure are curious what legislation you're looking forward to over uh, the next six months plus or so. Um, And I'm going to start with the biggest one that I'm dying to ask you about because I haven't had a chance to ask the two of you together in one room about Medicaid expansion. Uh, We've talked with each of you separately for months, right? But nothing came together quite. Enough in the last session. You positive and hopeful that something will resolve this time around. Let me start with you, Senator.
3: So I'm I'm hopeful we'll be able to get uh, something worked out. Uh, at, at this point, I really don't see exactly what that pathway would be, uh, but I am uh, uh, committed to uh, trying to work on something, and uh, I am hopeful that uh, we'll get that taken care of. It's uh, uh, it's a very complicated issue. I've tried to tell anybody that's willing to, uh, to listen, that, you know, sometimes uh, dealing with legislation, it, uh, it, it takes a while. And if, if you think, the example I have used is uh, Medicaid transformation. Uh, we, we had a situation where bills were introduced, uh, they would pass one body, uh, they'd be considered, uh, wouldn't pass uh, all through, Uh, But it took several years to get that legislation uh, finalized, and then it took some time to get it implemented. Um, If if you're looking uh, today, back 12 months, and you think about how far we've come on that issue uh, in the past 12 months, uh, I mean that's uh, as far as legislative progress. uh, That that is, you know, if not unprecedented, it's certainly. unusual.
1: Okay.
3: And uh, so I, I think it's something that we'll continue to work on. I'm hopeful we can get it taken care of this session. Um, uh, remains to be seen what the outcome will be.
1: You know, it's interesting to me that Medicaid expansion was for a long time a party, but uh, excuse me, a, a, an issue that was between parties uh, where Democrats called for it in one way or another and Republicans didn't. That shifted, which was dramatic in the last session. But now it's intra party differences that are preventing it from moving forward. Certificate of need law has been one of the central features of that conflict. Uh, tell me wh- where the House stands on that, Speaker Moore.
2: Well, of course, we passed a bill uh, last year that would have that put in place what I call guardrails, uh, some predictability on cost, some investment in rural health care that also had as much of a work requirement as one could re- couldn't put in place. And, and put those parameters in place. Uh, really where we are since then is that when, when HHS has set up their plan to move forward, they've essentially, I think it's fair to say, incorporated uh, most of those things, if not all of those things, into into their plan. So I do think that we're probably at a point closer right now than we have been at any time in the history of the state to, to moving forward on this. Uh, Senator Berger is correct. There's you know, the pathway is uncertain about how we get there and when we get there, but we there's been plenty of tough issues that we've been able to resolve uh, through a number of ways and uh, some of the it's I don't know that the expansion itself so much is the issue that's in contention. It's some of the other items that you alluded to in your question and it's just a matter of seeing get stakeholders together to work through those.
1: So what does it look like over the next couple of months trying to find the pathway to resolution?
2: I think it's going to just require converse, conversation between the uh, chambers and seeing where where we are. Sausage, and, and they're not going to tell you sausage. You just know sausage. <laughs> Say,
1: so it, it, well said, sausage. <laughs> right. Uh, do you each have in, in mind what a compromise that would be satisfying to your caucus would look like? Maybe we can do this right now. We can solve this right now. We we passed
3: the compromise. Uh, l- listen. <laughs> The uh, it, it, it is not unusual for there to be differences between the House and the Senate. Uh, it is not unusual for those differences to linger from session to session. Um, I, I, I do believe progress is being made, um, I, but those will require conversations uh, between members of the House, members of the Senate. Um, I don't know that uh, any... Public discussion um, of uh, what are the differences? Uh, uh, how much are you willing to give? How much uh, am I willing to take? You've answered fact. Why bill awarded that one? But to that, 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 but I you know what am I talking about here? <laughs> I I just don't know that that helps us uh, get to that uh, resolution. And and Tim mentioned stakeholders. I think that's uh, a process that's a proven process that works. Uh, we get interested parties get them in a room they either do or don't get something worked out uh even if they don't get something worked out uh it it informs uh the members of the legislature uh, where the positions are and it might help legislators separately
1: uh, work things out but uh, would, would you it, mind would you mind clarifying that process you stakeholders in a room what what are we talking about
3: we, uh, we identify folks who have an interest in the subject matter. Yep. And mm-hmm. we have members who have an interest and or an expertise in the subject matter. And we ask them to talk.
1: Yeah. Does the minority party have much voice in these conversations? From time to time, yes. Okay. Uh, let's stay on health care.
3: What the press does.
1: The press. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want a voice in the decision making, but we want to say what the decisions are. On health care, what I
3: read in your (laughs) newspaper,
1: shots fired here. (laughs) You folks saw it first. In the healthcare world, abortion rights have been a huge topic, not just in North Carolina, across the country, of course. That was a subject of much contention in the last session. What are those conversations looking like now as the long session starts? I think
2: on, on our side of the building and frankly I don't know if there's really any daylight between the difference between the Senate and the House on this, looking to see from a stakeholder process where our respective caucuses are on the issue. I know the Senate has a working group. We have a working group in the caucus and so we need to see where we are on this and there's a you know, it's not it's it's not a simple issue at all. There's a myriad of related issues to be discussed. And and my belief is is that we will come up with a consensus position. Uh, that in fact, and on our side, will probably net a handful of Democratic votes that we will need uh, to to see something done. My my belief is this: whatever path that we go down through, or was that we go down on this issue, needs to be something that could actually materialize into law. We don't just need to have a fight for the sake of having a fight in the legislature over an issue. We need to try to find a way. To resolve what has been a contentious issue now for decades. Sorry, bugger. Yeah, you know uh, our members are talking. Um,
3: we are um, uh, trying to uh, figure out uh, where there's some consensus that um, all 30 of our members uh, can support, and um, we'll we'll see how that works.
1: You you talked about. Uh getting the Democratic votes that you might need in the House. You have a, a different challenge than the Senate is dealing with now, trying to make an effective supermajority with, you know, anticipating the governor's veto. Uh, how are you going to achieve that if you think you can?
2: Well, we're we're in a good position right now. I mean, I've, I've, I've had a lot of conversations already with a number of our Democratic members, and I feel confident that when if there's a veto on any number
1: of bills that we're going to be able to override it which democratic members some Democratic members serving in the house we 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 wrote an article about that I'm sure that you saw how how close were we I didn't read it I hate to admit I really didn't read it ours i tell uh, my feelings too uh, but I will but I will read it when <laughs> I <bet> you, <laughs> my I noticed that he didn't realize how sensitive I know he's. we're getting invited back after this I saw uh, Garland Pierce got a gavel today that I didn't expect him to get He's going
2: to do a great job as a committee chair.
1: All right. All right. Look for that article if you want a little bit more on, uh, what we're hearing from some Democrats. All right. Uh, medical marijuana came up today as it has in the past as well. We're, we're, we're stepping through all the hot topics as you can tell. Um, what are we going to see progress one way or another on that through the long session?
3: Um. Senator Rabin uh, has uh, reintroduced uh, the medical marijuana bill. Uh, he is the uh, driving force uh, in, in the Senate, within our caucus, and within the chamber, in many respects, on that issue. Uh, I fully expect uh, that uh, that bill, maybe not exactly as introduced, but uh, fairly similar if, if changed, uh, will make its way through the, the Senate. Uh, I am hopeful. There have been conversations, as I understand it, with uh, House members uh, uh, about uh, how to uh, get it fully across the finish line. We'll see what happens.
2: And, and on the House side, there's probably, uh, it's something that we've discussed in our caucus. We don't have a, we haven't taken a position on it, but, but it, it's a divided. It's an issue where there's a lot of division. So I don't know where this where this one will, will shake down at the end, but... Uh, Uh, It's probably in a better position this year than it was last year. based on some initial data that I've seen.
1: Can you tell me what this 420 caucus is all about? It got a lot of laughs. It did. I I didn't know what to make of it. I told Kelly Alexander
2: last year that there was one amendment he had. I said, if you tried to run it at 420, we would have taken
1: it, but (laughs) you didn't. But for for context, if you weren't in the legislature or at the building today, and in the House, Kelly Alexander... Took a few minutes to make an announcement about the 420 caucus, um, which he concluded 420, and I didn't know if he was joking or not. It's a real thing, though. I suppose so. I don't know. I don't.
2: I don't know how many people that clapped and stood up had their bags searched when they left the floor. <laughs> God, that's...
1: Let me get uh step away a little bit from some of the the pressing issues that have trickled over from from the short session. In, in the speeches on day one, uh, especially from you, Senator Berger, you and others reflected on the last 12 years or so since 2011, when Republicans took control of, of both chambers and, um, your pride and different things that you've accomplished, but can you elaborate on that some, what, what would you say has defined the last 12 years of your leadership? So, I I would say uh,
3: look at where the state of North Carolina is today compared to where we were in January 2011. Uh, I think on on any metric that uh, indicates quality of life, uh, indicates uh, opportunity, uh, indicates um, uh, family friendliness, uh, North Carolina is not in a better place. a lot of that uh, has to do with uh, our approach, which is not to try to micromanage everybody's life, not try to micromanage the economy itself, but to create an environment uh, where uh, the capitalist system, free enterprise, entrepreneurs, individuals are free to make decisions uh, on their own. Uh, we've um, we've been, I think, by any uh, by any measure, wildly successful as a state, Uh, number one state uh, to do business, uh, number one or in the top two or three of all kinds of measures uh, like that. Uh, If you're talking about people's tax obligation, individual income tax rate has gone from, at the margins, uh, around 8% in January of 2011. Uh, To now, it just went down to 4.75. It's on the books to go down to 3.99. Flat rate, first $25,000 for a married uh, couple is uh, totally free of taxation. Uh, C corporations, uh, same uh, marginal rate or similar. Uh, January 2011, uh, that rate uh, is 2.5% now, uh, likely. we'll we'll see what happens, but on the books, uh, slated to go to zero. Uh, New jobs uh, in North Carolina, hundreds of thousands. Uh, I looked the other day, um, and I think it's like 2 million new voters on the voting rolls since uh, 2012. People are flocking to this state. Um, I I, I think by any measure, um, uh, North Carolina's in great shape. And I think uh, much of that has to do with the philosophy and the policies that uh, that the General Assembly has followed over the past decade. Will you speak more?
2: I agree completely with Senator Berger's remarks on that. And I would also mention a few other items. Look at the record investment that's been made in higher education, for example, the money that's been put in K-12 and community colleges. The funds that have been put into transportation. Look at the investment. Uh, one of the things that doesn't get talked about a lot is is the skiff. This State Capital Infrastructure Fund, which is where we've moved from a model of we we did I think we did one bond proposal in my first year as speaker, uh, which which helped out, but we've actually been able to move forward and set aside money that goes in every year to be used on capital needs in the state. and And for those who don't follow this, think about it this way: it's like instead of borrowing money and having to pay interest, you're putting a hundred percent of those dollars into whatever it is you want to spend it on and so instead of paying money toward interest you're delivering a 100% let on target when it comes to the when it comes to the money out there that has been a transformation that is paying dividends and, and going to pay dividends for years to come so uh, you president talks about the great tax environment the great regulatory environment i would also compare the investments that we've made that we we've been responsible and don't forget this a lot of the other states every state received federal dollars this last time all right those dollars are you know, ending, right? They, they, they have to be spent in the next two years. No, probably no more new money coming in. A number of states did differently than North Carolina. A number of states took those one-time dollars and created long-term recurring obligations that they're now going to be on the hook for when those federal dollars uh, aren't there In in states where they're already upside down fiscally. North Carolina, one thing that we were in complete agreement was to take that money that came in one-time dollars for one-time expenses so as a result we were able to fund a lot of things that had just been overlooked for years because of no money i mean you broadband water sewer infrastructure improvements things that don't get you know don't sound terribly exciting but are very important to making sure that we have the climate for businesses to continue to grow and invest and and, and for folks to move here and for population to expand so i'm really proud of that and the decisions that have been made and if you compare that to where we were where we were in, in 2010, and you compare that now, North Carolina is in a very, very different uh, financial position. For well, We were losing to South Carolina every time on jobs. Now, we don't. I mean, we're, we're landing major employers. But the, you know, our challenge now, though, is workforce. It's great that we're getting all these new companies. Great getting this. number of you represent businesses. I'm sure if, if you heard one of, you, one of your issues is workforce, right? I mean, that's top of the list. And so we need to do all we can to create the right environment where folks are incentivized to work and to create the right educational environment so folks have the training and skills they need for these new careers.
1: I was interested to hear on the first day, the 11th, uh, when, when we all came back, from many lawmakers, there was a commitment to bipartisanship. Uh, Bill Rabin notably talked about that at some length. What does that actually look like in, in practice? You're, you're the majority party with the power to do what you want. Uh, is it in, inviting voices from the Democratic Party to the table? What, what will it be over the next several months?
3: Well, I, I, it involves trying to find common ground. Um, and uh, it also involves recognizing that uh, at times you're not going to be able to do that. But, uh, but one of the things that, uh, that bipartisanship looks like, uh, you mentioned the medical marijuana bill. Um, Republicans and Democrats work together on, on that bill in the Senate. Uh, we also have a, a working group uh, in the Senate uh, trying to deal with the long-term issue of transportation funding. Uh, there are Republicans and Democrats working together on uh, trying to come up with a proposal on that. So it, um, it, it really depends on the issue itself. There are going to be things that we disagree about. Uh, uh, if, if there weren't, we wouldn't have but one party. And even if we only had one party, there would be factions uh, within that one party that, uh, that wants to go one way or the other on certain things. So um, I, I think bipartisanship uh, starts with uh, the, um, uh, the, the commitment to be civil to one another. Uh, And uh, then beyond that, uh, it involves uh, working together on those things that you can agree on. Um, But, uh, I mean, make no mistake about it, uh, there are vast differences in the approach that conservative Republicans take on certain issues versus uh, progressive liberal Democrats. Uh, That's fine. That's what our system is. And... uh, uh, so long as uh, those debates are resolved uh, as a result of elections uh, and the uh, the selection of uh, people to represent the voices of uh, of uh, of the people of the state, um, I mean that that's fine. I, the the idea that uh, we are every day when we show up at the legislature uh, going to hold hands and uh, uh, go around in a circle singing songs because we all agree with each other. Uh, I mean, that's, uh, that's just not reality. It's not life.
1: A sharp point of conflict between parties always has to do with redistricting. Uh, and it has for a very long time. You talk about uh, the news and observer and its coverage of party to party. I was in the archives the other day for a different project, but happened to read through some of our coverage in the early two thousands when Democrats had control. And they were the ones accused of gerrymandering and, and in and out of court system. And so things have flipped. And, and funny enough, uh, when Republicans were the minority party, there were frequent calls for an independent redistricting committee. Now naturally Democrats are calling for an independent redistricting committee. Is that just the, the political game that, that when you're in power, you do what you want and the other party picks up the argument that, that had been there before or 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 do they actually find common ground on issues like that when both have said the same thing at some point and changed their tune when when the power shifts?
0: Well,
2: what I I would say on the Independent Redistricting Commission is if fate changed and all of a sudden I found myself in the minority uh, and no longer in the majority, I would actually, knowing what I know now, oppose an Independent Redistricting Commission just as I do today. Because at the end of the day, what you found is that number one, in the states that have them, they're really not independent. They they the, poly, the same amount of politics is in that process that's not. And if you if it comes down to redistricting, the voters elected us. The voters elected Phil. They elected me. They elected our colleagues that serve in our respective chambers. If they don't like the decisions we make, they get to fire us every two years, right? So if it's an independent commission that's not accountable to the voters. You are, in effect, taking that power away and that accountability to the voters directly. So I, I'm, I'm of the position that the General Assembly ought to, and besides the Constitution mandates it, uh, be the body that uh, engages in, in legislative reapportionment uh, and congressional reapportionment. And I was very bothered by what our former state Supreme Court did so much that we took a case to the U.S. Supreme Court and they were so much concerned that apparently they granted, sir, and heard oral arguments, which they just don't do every day. Uh, not only that, we've also petitioned for rehearing for this current state Supreme Court to hopefully clean up the mess of the last one. Because at the end of the day, there has to be a delineation of powers between the branches of government. We don't need to be deciding disputes between parties that should be decided by the judicial system. Conversely, the judicial system not ought not be getting in the realm of dealing with things that are constitutionally given to the authority uh, to the legislative branch. So uh, I'd like to see a reset of that. And and, and when it comes to you know, legislative redistricting, we're going to fight uh, very doggedly. We've been in lockstep on this uh, for the authority, the right, and the responsibility of the legislative branch to fulfill its constitutional duty to redraw districts.
1: Well, I remember you said that if ever Republicans are a minority body again. Right. No independent commission from Tim Quote me on and- <laughs> it. Uh Senator Berger, you two, you were there for a long time, But about the first half, I think, of your career in the legislature as a minority party. And, and funny enough, in those archive articles I was read, reading, it was a certain Senator Roy Cooper, chair of the redistricting committee, who was talking in opposition to the idea of an independent commission. Republicans, of course, said the opposite. What do you make of that and how things shift as power shifts?
3: So I, I agree with uh, with what Tim has said about an independent commission, and um, I, I, you've seen in other states uh, where uh, they've gone that route that one party or the other tends to get control of those commissions, and you continue to hear complaints from a party that the commission itself uh, is... Uh, Gerrymandering. I, you know, the word gerrymandering is, uh it, it's uh, kind of an interesting situation to me. How, uh, how that's uh, been just uh, such a pejorative, uh, and I think it was intended that way. But um, the, the fantasy that there are individuals out there who have no preconceived notion or opinion about a political matter um, making decisions um, it, it uh, that those people are farming unicorns somewhere um, so so I, I think the the best uh, the best we can do is set up rules that uh the rules themselves uh are not republican rules or democratic rules, but uh they they are generic rules uh, mm-hmm. that uh, talk about um, near equal population. That's not an r or a d thing. Um, our state is divided up uh into counties that you respect county lines uh that uh you um uh, you you have other uh just not partisan uh measures, but then uh once you've got those rules, the people at the and you know, anybody that thinks that redistricting shouldn't be a political process or shouldn't politics shouldn't be involved in redistricting and that again that's that's just not reality and uh once you once you've set up those rules uh then the people elect representatives to make decisions for them and you let those folks make decisions and you let the courts decide whether or not the decisions were made consistent with the rules that have been set now. Um, the biggest problem I have with what the court has done, and it's not just the state Supreme Court, uh, it's been multiple federal courts uh, at, uh, at, at at all sorts of levels, is uh, they, they have uh, put their own personal, political, philosophical opinions into the decisions that were made, as opposed to uh, determining whether or not the elected officials followed the rules that were set down. When they couldn't find ways to, uh, to say that uh, the rules that were set down were uh, ignored or, or abandoned, they just made up new rules. And uh, that's not our system. Um, that's, uh, that's not uh, the way courts uh, ought, to, uh, uh, ought to handle it. And yes, uh, I was one of the voices uh, in the early 2000s calling for uh, changes in how um, uh, redistricting was done. Uh, I think uh, the minority party is always going to uh, look for changes. Um, Ways to no longer be the minority party. and um, but but experiences uh, led me to uh, to to the point, uh, and I hope um, this is going to call off as funny, but um, I, I, I'm trying to be sincere about this. Um, if you take a position, and as you learn something else about what's going on, uh, you, the conclusion that you drew uh, was the wrong conclusion. Uh, you you ought to uh, say that you've changed your mind and that there are reasons for you changing your mind. Uh,
1: so, so on the other side, so the minority party, of course, wants to not be the minority. Is it the majority party's prerogative then just to draw maps that are going to serve that party's best interest?
3: Consistent with the rules. Consistent with the rules. If that serves that party's uh, interest, then that, that's very much within bounds in my opinion.
2: And and do remember that General Assemblies controlled by one party that drew districts have lost elections and lost majorities in years, even when they've drawn districts. In fact, yeah. we got a
3: majority under maps drawn by the Democrats sure. we call gerrymanders.
1: So it's it's 7-7 uh, seven, seven now and then their House, Congressional House, right? Do you have an idea? What, what changes are, are we going to see as redistricting rolls out? Because it has to through this session, right? Because you can't have state drawn, I mean, excuse me, court drawn maps for more than a, an election cycle.
2: I don't I, from our side, there's been no predetermination that we'll go through the process.
1: Uh, we'll start wrapping up here soon, but there was something interesting I thought from a gaggle we had with you, Senator Berger. But question for both of you. Uh, you mentioned in that this was three weeks ago or so. Um, that besides the big topics, many of which we've discussed this evening, there were like a dozen or so more. I think you said that that you couldn't anticipate at the time. So a few weeks have passed. What other topics might might come up over the next several months? Now it's three dozen. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just just tell us one dozen. I'll be satisfied with that. Oh
3: gosh, um, you know I've I've had members come to me with. Uh, uh, ideas about uh, bills that they, they were working on. I'd prefer not to say anything about those, uh, as uh, as I think it's um, they should be their prerogative to move forward with them. Um, uh, you know, I, I've spent most of my time over the past couple of weeks dealing with uh, who's on what committee, um, uh, how how we're going to try to uh, be organized. That I, I don't know that the nuts and bolts of uh, any particular legislation has uh, uh, has gotten too, f- too far with me. The, the one e- The one exception is that I have had some conversations uh, with some members and with staff about uh, a, a, uh, a new iteration of what we have called the Parents' Bill of Rights. Uh, we'll see uh, what that looks like. I'm not sure when it will be ready to be introduced, but I think uh, uh, that's something that will be coming fairly soon.
1: What about in the House?
2: Uh, we, of course, are looking at what our options are on voter ID that we believe overwhelmingly should be be the law of the, of the land. It was approved by the voters of the state to the Constitution and that uh, the voters expect that. So we're going to be very dogged in making sure that that, in fact, is implemented sooner rather than later. Uh, a lot of the conversations that we've been having, because we begin with the budget process this year on the House side, is where do we need to be uh, kind of at a macro level? And, and what does that process need to look like? So we're spending a lot of time with those discussions, trying to get to get ahead of that, uh, to seek input from you know, folks all over the state. But uh, that that I suspect. This is such a challenging environment right now, just nationally. I mean, you all you look at your retirement accounts, you you, you see how much What is it like now, eight dollars for a dozen eggs. I mean, this is really some crazy times right now. And so. What does that mean for state government? What does that mean, and for example, in keeping employees working? What does that mean for capital projects that we funded in, in the previous budget where now the costs have just gone up exponentially? What does that mean? So those are a lot of the conversations. Again, it's nothing that's going to grab the front page of the paper that's going to get a lot of attention. But those have really been a lot of the conversations I've been a part of. You know, what do we do, for example, in healthcare care access? All of that. In trying to find a way to have a real conversation to produce real policy that that you know a, a, a number that our folks can get behind, that the Senate can get behind, uh, and that will be good for the state.
1: Thank you. We're gonna get nice shirts with my signature embroidered on it.
2: I tell you what, it's amazing what a Sharpie will do. It. <laughs> Thank
1: you both so much for your time. Uh, I will open it up briefly for some questions from the audience if they're civil and tame. We might have answered all the questions in our conversation. Everyone just wants to get back to drinking and talking. Wonderful. Well, have at it. Thank you all for coming. Oh, you know, yes, sir, please. May, again, on July 4th break.
3: That's job So, Bob, um, uh, the Senate plans to be finished by June the 30th. We're there beyond that, talking. Uh, except that, and we've said this uh, previously, it's likely that we'll have to come
2: back to do redistricting yeah. uh, as the deliberative body of the general assembly. We may. Uh, we 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 certainly want to be out by by July as well. We we we're, we're going to approach it that way to get that done. We're going to try to move through the process, uh, but we of course may have to be back to deal with some things. In June or in July at some point, but that we're going to try to get out and we are planning on that to, to probably do like a spring break as well. I know, I know you guys want to be able to make travel plans and so forth. So uh, uh we're going to try to make it an easy deal. One thing we've done on our side, schedule wise, is we're not going to announce this today. We're not going to be having votes on Mondays. So our members would be here Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays because we do have, and you guys do as well, we have members who have young children and all sorts of demands back home. And uh, back in the, the old, old days, you had to be here Monday night for votes, and you were here till Thursday afternoon. So we've tried to ease that, and we've also tried to free up some more time for the committee work. What we found is if we'll give more time for the committees to work things out, things go a lot smoother on the floor. And I, and I as I've told Phil plenty of times, he's got 50. I have 120, so it, it's a little different level
1: of 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 herding
2: cats half the time
1: so great eat drink have fun thank you all for coming thank you both for thanks for half the thought of Ben bounce
0: For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider. And sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.